Hello there and welcome to Weathersnap. I'm Claire Nazir. And I'm Aidan McGiven. Coming up, your weather and climate news of the week. Let's first of all talk about Storm Daniel. It's hit the headlines and international news. It's sitting across the central Mediterranean at the moment and we've seen fierce rains. Inundate Greece, Turkey, Bulgaria, triggering flooding with some tragic consequences. The footage coming out of Greece shows the startling evidence of the power of this storm. It's absolutely incredible, Aidan, isn't it? It's just, I think because it was so slow moving, it just produced copious amounts of rain, it had some tropical elements within there as well, within the actual sort of system, and the rain just kept falling. Phenomenal. A month's worth of rain in 24 hours in a few locations, I think. And you know, looking at the atmospheric structure that has led to this, it's fascinating, but obviously with tragic consequences. And it's what we call in meteorology an omega block. Omega blocks are named due to the pattern they form, which represents the uppercase Greek letter omega. And what you get is an area of high pressure sandwiched in between two lows to the east and west and slightly to the south, hence this omega shape. And it's the jet stream that circulates around these lows and highs that forms the omega shape. These blocks, they frequently occur on the eastern edges of the Atlantic and eastern Pacific. They can lead to easterly airflow in the UK. So interestingly, let's just backtrack a little bit because we had high pressure sitting over the UK and central and eastern parts of Europe. And then to the south, we had what we called a diffluent block. So nothing was moving and we had a a lower pressure system there, which actually then really triggered Storm Dana, which moved across very slowly yet again across Iberia. So that happened. And earlier this week, it happened through the weekend and into the early part of this week. Again, we saw too much rain across many parts of Spain. I mean, I think two thirds of Spain were under weather warnings in terms of wind as well as rain. And there was a lot of flooding, flash flooding at that. In fact, the president of Castilla-La Mancha region actually described the storm as very hard and hostile. It's not a nice place to be, is it? It's, you know, when you've got weather, which is described as that. So that was the first storm. And then an upper trough or more instability in the upper atmosphere extended down the eastern side of this block, creating that classic, as you said, Aidan, that classic Omega block with the the, almost like the symmetric shape. And that's when we saw Storm Daniel develop. Yeah. And Storm Daniel is a system that brought heavy rain and thunderstorms. And that was uh, especially across Greece, but also across parts of Italy. The low centre currently is slow moving and it's lying over the central Mediterranean Sea. Colloquially, people call this sort of system uh, Medicaine. It's not an official meteorological term, but it's due to the fact that it shares some characteristics with tropical cyclones, uh, you know, particularly given the, the main fuel source, uh, the warm seas that you get over the Mediterranean at this time of year. Uh, But at the moment, that's slow moving. It's heading towards North Africa. The rains expected to continue to affect a similar area as previous days, particularly heavy around eastern facing upslopes of Greece. Brisk onshore flow here, aiding the heavy rain there and record breaking rain continues. Some heavy rain is likely as well across Malta, parts of northern Libya. Nowhere near what fell across Greece, however, more like 25 to 50 millimetres. And of course, strong winds and rough seas over the central Mediterranean area as well. 
that system then drifting southwest with time and rainfall over Greece expected to ease from Friday. Now that system, as it becomes confined to the North Libyan coast this weekend, drifts east across northwest Egypt early next week. So it has a huge amount of energy entrained within it, which is just drifting its way eastwards. Obviously, you know, good to see some rain coming into the Middle East, but even so, the consequences, the impacts that we've even just seen on social media have been horrific, really. Cars swept into the sea, people stranded, houses becoming islands as the rain just becomes flood water. Let's now talk about that central slice of the Omega block, Aidan, which is the, the high pressure. It's the, the, the central sort of loop which extends northwards. Some people call it a heat dome. That's what the Americans call it. But it's where you see high pressure. And at this time of year, when you see a lot of sunshine, continentally in particular, temperatures can really rocket. And the temperatures across Western Europe have been on the high side. We've experienced it here in the UK, but also across Benelux as well as France. Even by Monday, temperatures were really rocketing across these parts uh, and heat wave conditions were pretty much in place through, through the week. So Bergerac in southwest France saw 37 degrees Celsius. It's probably close to its September record in that region. And Benelux um, across this region here, we've seen temperatures just shy of 32 degrees Celsius. So the heat is going to peak into the weekend. Again, it's a humid heat and that air has been wafting across to the UK alongside some Saharan dust. We've got a bit of everything really, haven't we, Aidan, uh, through this week. And in fact, there's been a lot of reports of dust on cars and roads and pavements from that sort of plume of dust which has come up from North Africa. Yeah, that's right. And those southerly winds for the UK have brought exceptional temperatures. We're looking at some local UK records that have been broken this week. We've not got close to the UK national record, which is 35.7 Celsius, I think. Good work. Good work. Yes. <laughs> we'll check that later. A bit around the 35.5 mark. Yeah. And the, um, the overnight temperature records, of course, are very close. They have been very close the last few nights for Wales and for the UK record as well, which is 21.7 Celsius. So we've got very close with temperatures in many places in the high teens and 20 or 21 Celsius overnight. And a temperature overnight of 20 Celsius or higher is defined as a tropical night. Now, to get one tropical night in September is fairly rare. It's only happened on a handful of occasions in the past, but to get a couple of tropical nights in the same month of September is unprecedented. That's not happened before. Another thing that's not happened before is to get a run of four days in a row in which the temperature in the UK has exceeded 30 Celsius. And that's what we've seen this week, at least four days in a row. That count continues with uh, temperatures expected to reach or exceed 30 Celsius into the weekend. So previously the record for the most number of consecutive 30 degree September days was three and that was recorded in a number of years going back, the most recent one being 2016. This year it's four or more with the count continuing. And yesterday, Thursday, was the hottest day of the year so far. It's not often, although it's not unprecedented, to record the hottest day of the year so far in September. It has happened on a number of occasions before, but it doesn't happen often. And 
that figure could be exceeded once again as we go into the weekend. You know, let's just backtrack to tropical nights, because when we talk about minimum temperature, that happens at the end of the night. And I was lying in bed just last night thinking, yeah, you know, the min temp might be 19 near Manchester, but that's at probably around five o'clock in the morning. It normally happens or maybe six o'clock. It happens about half an hour after sunrise for a classic sort of temperature distribution night and day. So the temperature at one in the morning is still above what it should be for this time of year during the daytime. So even though we say, yes, it's going to, the temperature is going to dip to 20 or 21 degrees Celsius, most of the time you're sleeping, it's going to be higher than that. And, you yeah, know, and in, your bed, in your bedroom, it's way higher than that yes. because our homes are built to keep the heat in. Yes. Most of our homes aren't built to uh, extract the heat on a night and keep things cool. My bedroom was roasting last night. It was much higher than the outside temperature, that's for sure. Mm. And, you know, obviously some of us can open our windows. I've got a pub right at the back of my house and they've been celebrating the summer. And also with that high pressure, pollution levels are rising. I live near a road as well. And we've got that Saharan dust. You think, "Mm, maybe I should be shutting my windows. But it is just so balmy. It's just so close, isn't it? And that minimum temperature, 20 degrees Celsius, which is probably slightly above the average for September anyway, maximum temperature. We haven't even reached that until probably at 5.36 in the morning. So all those things kept me awake last night, basically, even thinking about, you know, the Saunders discontinuity and when will it drop a bit further? Uh, well, it's, it's tough, isn't it? And you're up early to do so many radio interviews as well. <laughs> something like this, something like this. Now, in a moment, we'll go back to how long this humidity, this heat is going to last. But let's just turn our attention to something else happening on the other side of the Atlantic. Something really interesting. In fact, we're going to talk about this because we are curious about meteorology and it's a great talking point. And luckily, at the moment, we're looking at two hurricanes and they're currently not impacting any part of any populated area, which is good news. So we can talk about it in a way which is, you know, just unpicking the theory and why it's so interesting. So first of all, let's turn our attention to the Eastern Pacific. Yeah, and this is Hurricane Jova, which is fascinating. It's not likely to impact any populated areas, which is great. It's in the Pacific Ocean. Jova went from a 35 mile per hour tropical depression to a 160 mile per hour Cat 5 monster in 48 hours. Very rapid intensification there over warm seas. And if you look at the model output, no forecast was actually close to its track, which does tend to happen admittedly with such rapid intensification. But it's not record breaking that rapid intensification, the highest 24 hour intensity increase observed in the Eastern Pacific was 120 miles per hour with Hurricane Patricia in 2015. Yeah, so any more information you want on um, on Hurricane Jova. And it is interesting just to talk about it. The track is moving northwestwards away from the US, which is great news. Um, and it becomes, it's downgraded to a tropical storm by around midnight into Sunday morning, which is which is good news as well. So it's not going to affect anyone, which is great. It's just a really fascinating setup, really, and, and something which, you know, just shows the power of nature and how it can just burst into life from nothing, from nothing at all. Let's now turn our attention to Hurricane Lee, Aidan, which 
it's a very different beast and something which will affect people, um, not only through the next few days, but more so possibly an outside chance towards next weekend. So Hurricane Lee at the moment is intensifying and it's intensifying rapidly, becoming a major hurricane. So the models are in good agreement that it will continue to strengthen into the weekend, uh, reaching its peak intensity. There'll be fluctuations in this intensity over the next sort of three to five days with potential eyewall replacements. And we discussed eyewall replacements last week. The eyewall is where the most intense winds are and occasionally just weaken a little bit and then that eyewall is replaced and the winds pick up again. But it is expected to be a dangerous hurricane across the southwestern portion of the North Atlantic into early week. Its core is moving north from the Leeward Islands, Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico, but it will have indirect impacts, particularly because of heavy swell across the Leeward Islands, Bahamas as well, possibly the eastern side of the US. And currently the only direct threat to land is possibly Bermuda, and beyond that, and there's a lot of uncertainty, it could threaten the northeastern portion of the USA or even southeastern Canada. But it's too far ahead at the moment to tell. But obviously, we're really keeping a keen eye on it here. We have an amazing global unit team, global guidance unit team, which work with the National Hurricane Centre. We use our models as well. And that information, obviously, is really quite paramount because there are a lot of people that live in that part of the world. These hurricanes, Aidan, aren't they? They can just sort of head in a different direction. You know, the forecast tracks can go wrong. Yeah, it's fascinating to see the official track from the National Hurricane Centre still keeping it as a major hurricane. So that's Cat 3 and above early next week into Tuesday. And, you know, you think, well, what's going to happen after that? It's just going to be sitting there, slowly making its way northwestwards as a major hurricane through the weekend, first few days of next week, gradually approaching the Bahamas and so on. And so that's certainly one that we'll need to watch very closely. Yeah, I mean, if you were living in that area, you know, whether you're Leeward Islands or Bermuda even, you'd be keeping that forecast pretty much as a screensaver to see what's going to happen next. Because, you know, people in this in this region understand hurricanes. They understand the uncertainty of hurricane tracks and how powerful they are, you know, how devastating they can be. But all that would have to be, Aidan, think about this, Lee, if it was, say, I don't know, 500 miles further east, remember Irma back in a couple of years ago, which actually just annihilated Puerto Rico and as a Cat 5, and that was a really prolific hurricane season. So, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, yeah, God, this is lucky the track is actually over open water at the moment. Okay, let's now just talk about something in terms of climate, because, you know, climate reports come out all year, state of uh, the UK climate, state of the US climate. And now this biggie comes out around this time of year, doesn't it? Yeah, this is an international publication released each summer. The state of the climate is the authoritative annual summary of the global climate published as a supplement to the Bulletin of the American Meteorological Society. The report is based on contributions from scientists from around the world, and it provides a detailed update on global climate indicators, notable weather events, and other data collected by environmental monitoring stations and instruments located on land, water, ice, and in space. 
Now, the Met Office was obviously involved in this report as well, and some of their contribution was their expertise in climate impacts. So let's just give you the top lines here. If you want any more information, you can check out, obviously, BAMS, uh, which is the Bulletin of American Meteorology Society, or NOAA as well. They'll have a record on that. And we've got some summaries on our website, Met Office website as well. So here are the top lines. The Earth's greenhouse gas concentrations were the highest on record in 2022. The global average atmospheric carbon dioxide concentration was 417.1 parts per million. So let's just think back. We always thought pushing over 100 would be clear and present danger, and we're well beyond that now. Yeah, and we've talked a lot recently about El Nino, because that's begun in the Pacific, but 2022, we had La Nina, which is the uh, opposite of El Nino, the opposite phase, and that has a cooling effect on the global atmosphere. However, despite this cooling effect, 2022 was still among the six warmest years since global records began, and it was the warmest La Nina year on record, surpassing 2021. And globally, overall, 29% of land experienced moderate or worse categories of drought. There were record highs uh, across the land, I think 6.2% of the land up to October 2022 saw extreme drought. That's a huge amount of land seeing extreme heat and obviously a lack of water. And extremes as well at the other end of the scale. This year, the report introduced a new measure of humid heat events, which is based on the wet bulb temperature rather than the air temperature. And that's an indicator of the humidity of it. And actually, that's a more important measure in some respects than the air temperature, because that has such significant health consequences. And what we saw was that the severity and frequency of humid heat extremes in 2022 were above average and have been increasing since 1973. Yeah, interestingly, this area of research people are really focusing on because of the impacts of human health. And, you know, here, even here in the UK, when we get high temperatures, we tend to get high humidity. And the combination is quite exhausting, isn't it? Um, so, yes, extreme heat comes in the form of dry heat, but also we can measure it now in the terms of humid heat. And it does threaten human health. It's relatively unstudied up to now, but there are studies coming out. Now, the peak of dry and humid heat extremes occurs around the same time. However, more importantly, humid heat extremes have increased disproportionately over populated areas relative to global land areas. So that's something that really needs to be watched and more research needs to be done on it. And population exposure to humid heat has increased at a faster rate than to dry heat. And why is this important? As Aidan said, it's important because uh, the combination of high temperature and high humidity is more dangerous to human and wildlife. And um, there are physiological limits to humid heat and they have adverse effects on human health and performance as well, even well below the thresholds that people talk about in these papers. And another thing that came out of this report was the Hunga Tonga underwater volcano. Now, this eruption in January 2022, interestingly, injected an unprecedented 50 to 150 megatons of water vapour directly into the stratosphere above the southern hemisphere. This cools the stratosphere, but it warms the troposphere. So the troposphere is the layer of atmosphere that we live in. That's where we experience most of our weather. And 
that further exacerbates warming at the Earth's surface. It's an effect that's expected to persist for many years. And it's interesting because actually for so many volcanic eruptions, we see the opposite happen. We see ash and sulfur dioxide and, and so on increase in the atmosphere, reducing the amount of solar radiation and cooling the planet. But this has had a different effect because of the amount of water vapor. And so we're seeing a warming effect from it, albeit a smaller effect compared with greenhouse gases from human pollution. You should have a look, okay, on the Wikipedia page of the Hunga Tonga um, eruption and associated tsunami. It's unbelievable the explosiveness of this underwater like there's nothing it's just sea and then out of it comes this huge cloud which obviously is going to be called lava particles and a huge amount obviously of water vapor as well it's just crazy they call it a i'm just looking here oh my goodness have a look yourself i'm not gonna there's there's too much information here but it's absolutely unbelievable and it's incredible that it was captured from space you could actually see the eruption so this happened across the south pacific um i'm going to say north of new zealand so that region of the world and it has implications across the whole of the world okay. i remember back at the time as well met office meteorologists and scientists were showing the ripples in the air pressure across the world so you could see this ripple in the air pressure for days afterwards it was incredible to see that global impact from it just so powerful so let's finally let's go back to the uk and talk about when will this high humidity high heat wane aiden well as we mentioned before this is a remarkably long-lived hot spell for september the longest run of 30 degree days in September on record. Thursday makes it the fourth day in a row. It's likely Friday will make it the fifth day in a row. And then into Saturday and Sunday, top temperatures in the UK are expected to be at around 32 Celsius, give or take a degree or so. The highest temperatures into the weekend will be towards the southeast of England, where we keep a lot of that hot sunshine. Elsewhere, it turns increasingly cloudy, particularly towards the north and the west. And what we'll see is a change in the weather start to take place from the northwest of the UK. So on Saturday, it's going to turn a bit more showery across the northwest of Scotland. The breeze picks up, it's going to feel cooler. That air mass then pushes south during Sunday and increasingly through the weekend as that cooler, more changeable weather pushes in and meets the heat and humidity further south. We're going to see this increasing risk of thunderstorms. It could be some whoppers by Sunday across central and northern parts of the UK. Putting specifics on it at this stage would be very difficult, but certainly the potential there for some really lively storms with frequent lightning, hail, uh, torrential downpours, and some significant impacts from these storms. But it's likely to be one of those all or nothing events. If the right triggers come into effect and the right ingredients come into place, these big thunderstorms are likely to occur, perhaps supercells, but you need the right ingredients to come together at the right time. So we'll keep an eye on that, certainly. However, that hot air stays in place until the start of next week. Still another hot day in the southeast on Monday, not quite as hot as the weekend, but eventually through next week, the cooler, more changeable weather returns, temperatures back to average. Now, back to average would mean a 10 degree temperature drop in many places. And so we're certainly going to notice that it's going to feel autumnal all of a sudden.
Food for thought, Aiden. Very good. Yes, I mean, you know, we do love a blast of sun, don't we? But um, anyhow, let's just see how it let's see how it unfolds. But that's all from me and Aiden this week. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your company, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.